0: We're going to jump into uh, back into our series called Guardrails, and uh, you know Reese mentioned earlier we we kicked off this series just a couple of weeks ago. And um, let me review kind of the big idea. This is a, a series that we kind of borrowed with permission from another church. We we kind of heard this material, thought it was so smart. We thought, hey, what if we brought that to our church? So at Manuka and Morris campuses, uh, we're bringing this to our church. But guardrails direct and protect. If you have a driver's license, or even if you've just been riding with mom and dad for a while, you. You see these guardrails, and they're always before you get to the danger zone. They start before the bridge, they, they, and like Reese said, uh, they are in the safety zone, so we don't put them over here or even on the line because they, they wouldn't do any good, and this makes sense as we drive because we don't want to swerve into oncoming traffic or go over the edge of a bridge or anything like that. It, it makes perfect sense, and kind of the big idea of this whole series is this. The highway is not the only place that we need guardrails. And we're just trying to take this series as a wisdom series to say, uh, we'll look at what Scripture says, what God says to us, but we really want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us and help us have the wisdom to know how to set up guardrails in different areas of our life. Uh, Last week, we were talking about our relationships and how impactful people are, whether we mean it to be or not. And so just trying to look wisely at different areas of our life. Because uh, here's the idea, that your greatest regret may have been avoided if you had some sort of guardrail financially, or relationally, or professionally, or all the different areas of our life. That we might be able to look back and say, oh, if I would have you know, kind of had a safeguard for myself, I wouldn't have crossed that line. And perhaps future regrets... Won't even happen if we can have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to put uh, guardrails in our life to help us stay on the road, to help us stay in bounds. The other thing that we've said every week is this. um, What a guardrail is is really a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Uh, I don't want to tell you here's the law, here's the rules, this is what you should do, this is exactly the rules that you should put in your... I I really want to have us just think, maybe discuss with our our spouse or or a close friend and pray about what guardrails would be in different areas of our life. But but it's, it's a standard that becomes in your life something that you do, a behavior, but it's based on your conscience. The idea is that before we go into the danger zone, something would go off in our conscious, in the back of our minds to help us stay the path. And um, because culture, our culture, where we live, what you're surrounded by every day, does not encourage or champion or help us be wise about guardrails. Right? We've talked about how our culture will bait us to the edge and then laugh at us when we go over. That everything's good and everything's fun and everything's good for you and you know have all you want and go as far as you can, but when you go over, then our culture mocks us and ridicules us and shames us and perhaps no more more obviously than in the area that we're talking about today. Today as we talk about this area, I think this might be the most blatant place where culture baits us to the very edge, and then shames us for going over. Today we're talking about guardrails romantically, that we are romantically inclined, and basically we're going to talk about romantic and sexual guardrails, and that our culture is not in our corner. This world is not helping us make wise decisions. They're not protecting us from ourselves, or from pain, or from emotional hurt, or memories of any kind. They're not cheering, our culture is not cheering for your marriage. Um... But wisdom says, what kind of guardrails romantically and even sexually can we put in our life to help us? And if you're brand new or you're new around here and you're like, oh man, I didn't know we talked about this in church, you know, and you know, we don't do, we don't do it every week, but hey, it comes up in scripture. We believe that God invented people and he invented sex and we believe that he knows best how it fits in our life. And so we want to take our cues from him. And we really believe that when, when we honor him in this area and we protect ourselves from ourselves and from what we're surrounded by. We're better for it because he knows what's best for us and we experience more joy and a better life. So uh, we're talking about being romantically inclined. And it got me thinking about high ropes courses. Has anybody ever been on a high ropes course? If you grew up at our church, you probably have. We, we partner with uh, a camp that we take junior hires to and, and high schoolers to and and this is actually part of, they've got this huge up in the trees high ropes course. And uh, it's really, really fun. I, you know, some, Sometimes we've taken students there and they're a little nervous and we're trying to help them conquer fear. Some people are too scared to even go up and they'll say, I'll just be the person that takes the picture. Uh, people like me, I like heights. I wanna get up there. I wanna see if I can make it across. There's all these different, you can go wherever you want. There's different, you know, this one's more difficult than that and obstacles to get across. And, um, but it's kind of annoying because you get all excited. You know, you, you get up there, you pay your money, you're like, I can't wait. I've seen it. Uh, I've heard about it. And then it's like an hour before you get to actually try it because they got to get this harness. And it like, there's training on just how to put the harness on. And they got to get you fitted for a helmet, which is uncomfortable. And and then there's all this actual training. There's like a, a little baby version of it on the ground so you can tr- practice clipping your carabiners. And, and there's two carabiners. And there's all these, you got to learn the right words to say and all the right ways to go. And you have to go with a partner. And there's guides. And the, it's like over the top protective because they're scared that you might you know, fall 55 feet down to the ground or something. And I'm like, just let me get up there. It looks so fun. I want to play. I want to climb. I want to see how I do, right? But they're, they're so worried about helping you be safe. And the idea is this. Dangerous environments call for extreme measures. When you're 60 feet in the air, climbing from one contraption to the other, maybe on a, you know, a thin rope or a balance beam or some sort of thing that you can only hold your hands on, uh, that's extreme, and, and, and so we take extreme measures. And the idea that I wanted to get in our minds is uh, we live in a dangerous environment. The first week we looked at these verses where the Apostle Paul said the days that we live in are evil. And it was true for them back then in his day, and it may be even more true for us in our day. And maybe not any area of our life that the days are more evil than the idea of how we treat and view and talk about sex in our culture. And the, the, the guardrails that we have or don't have romantically in our lives to try to protect ourselves and protect our marriages and our most important relationships. And so uh, we live in a dangerous environment. So we're going to talk about basically extreme measures to try to protect ourselves. It makes sense when you're on the road. It makes sense when you're on a high ropes course. Um, and when you think about it, it makes sense in other areas, especially in this area. Nowhere does culture bait us more to the edge. And in a way, we're, we're all guilty. And Maybe we can just kind of group admit, you know, the fact that the shows we entertain ourselves with, the movies, the stories, whether it's a comedy that we're laughing at or a drama that we're cheering for, they're full of infidelity and broken relationships and revenge and, and, and hurt and, and uh, affairs. And, and we entertain ourselves with that. But then when someone close to us has an affair, we're, you know, it's crazy. How could you, you know? But like, we've totally enveloped ourselves in these characters and these storylines where that's entertaining and normal to us. And I'm not saying we shouldn't watch TV or anything like that, but uh, culture just says, this is normal. This is okay. Go as far as you can. Don't worry about her. Just worry about yourself. And why wait for marriage? And all these other mixed signals that culture gives us that we realize from God are not best for us. Maybe in no other area of life, does culture bait us to the edge and then shame us for going over? Over and over, in, in I, I follow sports, but in all kinds of news, we see leaders and heroes and sports figures falling, being accused of and found guilty of, uh, assault or rape and different things like that, or you know, big name couples breaking up, and it's front page news because, wow, somebody had an affair and all those things, and, and it's like, oh, I can't believe you would go that far, but we pushed you this far to begin with because everything is celebrated and everything is encouraged. And I believe if we get this area right, as a church, as a community, that families would be stronger. I think we would have less poverty. We would have less uh, broken marriages, less kids growing up without a mom or a dad, less abuse, less all kinds of things if we were better at protecting ourselves romantically and protecting our marriages, especially for our families. And so uh, we're gonna dive into this because the truth is we all know somebody or maybe you are somebody, or maybe you were raised by somebody. Who would have been so much better off if they had guardrails when it comes to their romantic relationships and their sexuality? We, we know too many people. Maybe we've been that person, and we know the value of guardrails in that area of life. So it's no surprise what we're going to look at today, what the Apostle Paul writes. We shouldn't be, you know, like surprised when he says what he says. But what he says is not really what we would expect to hear. We're going to uh, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you got a device for the Bible and you want to follow along, you are welcome to do that. Or if you brought a like an old school paperback version, that'd be even better. You can go home and read it again on your own if you want to later this week. But the book of Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had started. He had been there. He had been with them. He may have visited them a couple times by the time this letter gets to them. He taught them about Jesus, and he taught them about honoring God and following God, and then he writes them these letters to correct them and to encourage them and to cheer them on, and he addresses specific things that they they need to grow in, and and we take this, we believe that God brought it into, uh, by preservation of his spirit to our scriptures, we call it a book of the Bible, but it's a letter that he wrote to Christians, to believers in the town called Corinth, that's why it's called, it was written to the Corinthians, and so uh, what he says to them, he addresses many things in this letter, but he talks about, sexual issues and sexual boundaries and guardrails. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. This is like his one sentence, you know, four-word you know, speech. It, it, that's really all he wanted to say. That's all he needed to say if we could get this into our heart. The idea that when we are surrounded in a culture that celebrates things that are against the ways of God that pushes us into things that aren't actually good for us mentally or or for our soul or even for our relationships and our future relationships, that we should run away because we know that it's danger. But the problem is in our culture, so often we flirt with instead of flee from. That we're baited into this, and it's okay, and, and this much is okay, or he'll never find out, or whatever it is that we flirt with because it's tantalizing, and it's interesting, and, it, and it's stimulating, and, and it's fun, but then we realize maybe later, or even if it's too late, that that wasn't really good for me, and, and I can't get images out of my brain, and I can't get memories and feelings out of my heart, and, and my future intimacy is Not as good as I wish it was if I had put guardrails in to honor God the way that he says. And so the Apostle Paul says, when he starts talking about this topic, run away. Get away as fast as you can. Flee from sexual immorality. The best picture in scripture is this dude named Joseph. And this is not like uh, Mary and Joseph. This is in the Old Testament. There's a guy named Joseph that God selects to be, you know, one of his leaders of the family of Israel and he's in this weird position where this lady is begging him to come to bed, and he literally leaves his, like, garment and runs out of there in his underwear, and he was fleeing from sexual immorality because he knew, as good as it might feel for a while, this is not what God wants for me. This is not God-honoring, and this is not best. This is not good for my career. This is not good for my future marriage. This is not good for anything, although it. it It could easily suck me in. So he didn't flirt with it. He didn't stick around. He didn't take a little bit of the attention because, oh, it's so nice when somebody thinks I'm attractive. He just fleed, or he flew. I I don't know what the past tense of that is, but uh, that's what he did, okay? So Paul says we should flee from sexual immorality, and I like that he uses this word sexual immorality because he could try if he wanted to list all the different ways that we can blow, you know, honoring God sexually, and he would never make an exhaustive list. And he's not trying to single out any specific group of people. He's just saying anything that's not, God's design for sex is not good for any human because God designed humans. And so run away, get away from it, flee from it. But our culture says flirt with it. Have a little bit. It feels good. It's fun. It's normal. It's healthy. And it baits us to the edge of disaster, but shames us when we go over. And like I said, we believe that God invented sex. He's not against sex. He just knows what's best. So the Apostle Paul says, flee. He goes on. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits. Now he's going to go on, but he stops right at the beginning. When he's talking about sexual immorality, sexual sins, he kind of puts them in, in, in in an area all of their own. You know, you, there's all ways we can sin with anger and you know and pride and selfishness and you name it. But he says all the other sins are like in a separate category from sexual sin. Now, he's not saying that sexual sin is is more sinful or deserves more punishment or is less forgivable. That that's not what he's saying at all. We believe that any sin causes us to fall short of God's perfect standard and we can only be made right by God through the our faith in Jesus and that our faith in Jesus forgives us of all sins. He's not saying it's it's worse. He's just saying sexual sin is uniquely damaging. And you know this. There's something about sexual sin And just our sexuality that is so inside of us. It's like this weird physical slash spiritual slash emotional mix that God gave to humans as a good gift that we've twisted and gotten wrong and we've hurt ourselves. And he says, all other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But this one, this is like you're hurting yourself. He puts sexual sin as uniquely damaging. Totally forgivable? Absolutely. Jesus Christ erases all of our sins. God forgives us and loves us. But you can overcome other sins easier. You can you know, recover financially. You can recover academically. Actually, uh, I failed a class my first semester at school, and my GPA was really, really bad, right? Because you only had like three other classes to pull it up. And luckily, over time, I was able to pull it. You can recover from a lot of other things. But totally recovering from sexual sin, there's consequences, and there's memories, and there's, there's things that hurt us and hurt our future intimacy, that we can't recover from is as fully as other areas. Um, and sexual sin will make you more of a liar, I think, and a secret keeper than any other sin. It's easy, you know, over time to admit certain things. And, and oh, yeah, I, I, I was lying, or I was a liar, or I was continually lying. You know, I, I had a DUI that one time, or those, two, like, I can admit all, my addictions and all these other things. But sexual sin's like, that's harder to share. I I don't want to admit it. I don't want to own up to it. I I, I, I know I'm forgiven. I don't want to, you know, it'll keep us from sharing that, especially to the people who are closest to us because it's just like Paul says. It's in a category all of its own. But he goes on. He says all of the sins are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Okay? We're hurting ourselves. But when he says sin sexually, this idea of sexual immorality and sin sexually, he speaks in this broad term. And the idea is that Anything outside of God's design for sex is what he would say sexual sin. Here's God's design as we see it in scripture. God invented man and woman. He called us to be husband and wife and that sex only belongs in that relationship, not before marriage, not with anybody else outside of marriage. And so when Paul says that we have sexual sin and sexual morality, this is an equal opportunity offender because we can blow it sexually as heterosexual people or homosexual people, as married people or single people, young people or old people, that there's all kinds of ways, you know, we can do this with others and we can do this by ourselves. The, the, Jesus talks about the idea of the, the lust in our heart being equal to committing an act. And so there's a lot of things that he covers. He's not trying to get into your worse and that, ah, how could you, and why do you think that way? He's just saying, listen, anything outside of God's design for man and wife, and only in that covenant relationship, is not good for you. It's not best for you. And it's actually what Paul would call sexual sin. All other sins um, are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. You're not only hurting your future relationships and the intimacy you want to have with your spouse or people close to you, but you're hurting yourself. And God knows this. He knows that we, we need to be protected from ourselves, from our own desires, from putting too much energy into a certain urge. And so um, here's what Paul says in the next verse and he goes on in verse 19. He says, do you not know? And this is interesting. He starts this sentence. And whenever someone says this, they're assuming one of two things. Either you've never heard this before or... You didn't quite realize it as much as you should, right? Like, you didn't know the salt shaker was right in front of you? You know, you you didn't know your sunglasses were on your head? Did you not know that rule? You know, I got pulled over one time for... um, run on a red light. Now, it turns out I knew the rule. I just didn't see the red light, and so uh, I still got a ticket. I was hoping that the police officer would be like, oh, you probably, you know what? From now on, you should stop at red lights. You probably didn't know, right? Like When, when you know certain things it should impact your behavior. So, uh, well, Paul is saying there's something that you may not know. Maybe you've just never heard this, or maybe you've never realized this completely. There's something that you may not know that if you knew would impact your behavior because it's such a big deal. So in in case you've just never realized this, or maybe you've never heard this before, here's what he says. And he switches the conversation. Before, he's talking about basically the consequences of sexual sin. It hurts our self. It hurts our intimacy. You know, it scars us deeper in different ways than other sins. There's consequences to it that we'd be wise to avoid. But now he actually switches it to not just what we can avoid, but he wants to help us understand who we are. And the value that we really have. And I believe this is for all people, but especially for Christ followers. That if you call yourself a Christian, you've put your faith in Jesus, this is especially true of you. And it should impact this area of your life more than anything else. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God. Did you not realize this? Have you just never heard this before? Or did you not quite grasp it fully? Because if you get this, this isn't not just about avoiding the consequences. This is is about who you are in God. Now, all humans are created in God's image. We are all special, amazing creations who bear the image of God, and if that doesn't make you valuable enough, his Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer, that the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he forgives you for your sins, and he comes into your life. He puts his Holy Spirit to indwell you. He says, don't you realize your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? And when we read this in, you know, 2021, we have no idea what a temple is. We don't have temples, and, and temples back then were very sacred, but for us, nothing is sacred. But Paul would say, yeah, but you are, because God's Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are a sacred, God-made, God-created, special, sacred being, especially if his Holy Spirit is in you. And so what that means, we do with our bodies that are sacred temples should matter. If you're a Christian, you have God's Holy Spirit in you. And God designed humans to have intimacy with one person. That's best for us. We're not just any other animal or any other mammal on planet earth. We're made in his image with a specific design for intimacy in a marriage relationship. One other person. And God's spirit resides in us. The idea is this, that the value of a container is determined by what it contains. Right? Like whatever your Tupperware is, is Probably costs a few dollars. But if you make really good barbecue and you put that in the fridge and that Tupperware, all of a sudden, like, don't lose that because of that that's good eating, right? Or like my wallet. My wife and I have been arguing lately about my wallet because I've got like a big old fat uh, George Costanza wallet if you're a Seinfeld fan. And it's like ripping apart because I do. was just like I put receipts in there like him. It's like a filing system and she laughs at it. She's like, you need a new wallet. You know, like, that's sad. Why don't, why don't you just get yourself? They're only a few dollars. Why don't you just get a new wallet? I'm like, because it still works. I, who cares? Like my wallet. Didn't cost much and it's worth nothing except for what's inside of it, right? I, I, I wouldn't want you to rob me of my wallet because like credit cards, cash, driver's license, things that I probably need that I forgot are even in there. It's worth a lot to me. I make sure I know where it's at. I try not to leave it in my vehicle unlocked because it's so valuable. Not because the wallet's any good. It's worn out. My wife thinks I need a new one, but because of what's inside of it. And that's the idea with us as humans, that you are valuable more than you know. You are priceless more than you know because of the spirit of God that resides in you if you're a Christian. And even if you're not, by the image of God that resides in you, by his special creation. And Paul's like, don't just throw your bodies around. Don't, don't cheapen yourself that way. You're a sacred temple, okay? He says, he goes on, he says, um, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Let me throw that next one up there. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So the value of a container, determined by what it contains. The other idea is that ownership determines value. So you could go to a store and buy a baseball for a couple of bucks, or I showed you like a couple months ago this um, baseball that Babe Ruth owned that sold for like millions of dollars, right? It's like, why would you go pay millions of dollars for a baseball? I could buy buckets of balls for like 100 bucks, right? We could hit all day, we could lose them in the weeds, no big deal. But who owns it makes a lot of difference. If you buy an autographed guitar, but from the right guy, it would sell for thousands of dollars instead of, you know, hundreds of dollars because of who owned it. And says, You're not your own. God bought us with a price. The other thing is, the value of something is determined by what anyone is willing to pay for it right? If you were trying to build a house lately, <laughs> things are worth more than they used to be. The whole house is selling for more. The, all the different parts, copper and lumber, they're selling for more. And how could you charge so much? Why is gas so high? Well, if you're willing to pay for it, that's what it's worth. If you have a garage sale, you could sell something for whatever you want. You could put a million dollar price tag on it, but it's only worth what someone was willing to pay. And what Paul is saying is that God sent his one and only son, and Jesus was willing to die for each of us. That's how valuable we are in his sight. That's the creation that we are, that we carry around. And he says, you're not just any other, you know, hunk of junk. You are God's, like Reese said, masterpiece. And so what we do with our bodies matters. You are not your own. And we all, our culture says, yeah, I'm my own person. I'm an adult now. I'm 18. I'm a high schooler, you know, or I, I, I'm a senior in high school. All the things that we tell ourselves. I'm a free agent. It's my body. I can do what I want. But Paul says, no, that's a lie that we get into our head to bring us farther to the edge of disaster. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You are priceless. And he says, therefore, in light of the fact that you are so valuable, so precious, so priceless, therefore, honor God with your bodies, this is amazing. If if Paul had two sentences, I think he would say, "Flee from sexual immorality. Honor God with your bodies. Run from danger. Stay as pure as you can. Stay as innocent as you can. Get away as fast as you can. And instead, honor God with your body. If you are this amazing creation, created special, called to do good works. God's spirit in me, priceless creation." that I can choose to honor God with my body. I can be used to do good works, to encourage people, to worship God, to make him proud with how I live, what I do. And he says, honor God with your body. This is the New Testament sexual ethic. And I think Paul would say to honor other people's bodies with our bodies. That's what we're called to do. That's what we should go after. That's really what's best for us. Even if you don't believe in God, you'll be blessed by trying that. That'll bless your relationships. You'll feel better. You'll live better. Okay? But it requires guardrails. So real quickly, I want to just whip through some guardrails. And again, I don't want to tell you what to think or what to do. I I want you to think about it. Maybe if you're married, talk about it with your spouse. Pray about it. Invite God to say, hey, is there an area that I need to start putting up a guardrail to protect myself from myself, to protect myself from culture, to protect this Most amazing human relationship I have to protect my marriage. And so um, here's the, the, the first guardrail for married couples. Okay, and I'll do single next. But talk about it. As a couple, you should discuss what your guardrails are. How far is too far for your spouse? What are you comfortable with him or her doing when they're at work or when you're not home, right? Like, like have that discussion. That will really help you dial it in and help you encourage each other. Don't be afraid to discuss this. You'll be so glad you had those conversations. A quick suggestion, a couple weeks ago, we've talked about what we call the Billy Graham rule, that even like in the 60s, he started this way of life. He Eventually, he made it kind of uh, a guardrail for his entire organization that he wouldn't ride with or travel with or have a meal alone with a, a woman, or a member of the opposite sex, and I've met men and women who have kind of adopted this rule. It's not a biblical law. You don't have to practice this. In fact, depending on what you do for work, it might be nearly impossible to not be alone with someone of the opposite sex because that's the whole crew or whatever. But um, talk about with your spouse, well, what's, what's healthy and wise? For me, I tried to adopt that rule. And as a youth pastor, that was like, hey, we're not gonna ride. give kids a ride home, uh, especially like a, a male leader with a girl or a female leader with a boy. Uh, that worked great for me until I had a small staff and there was a high school girl who was on that staff. And, and the, uh, the church said, Hey, you two go to the bank and get this thing. Cause we do this big event. We had to get $2 bills. It was like the special bank knew they had $2 bills. And so that was like our job. And I was like, well, I don't ride alone with women, let alone teenage girls. So, um, I brought my kids with me. I called her, and I said, just so you know, I got all my kids in the car. Now, I wasn't scared of her, you know, like accusing me. I, I, I trusted her family. It wasn't like, oh, well, this is a really scary one. I just thought, that's a guardrail for me, and I don't want to break it just because that's what we were asked to do, so I'll work around it. And then I called her mom, and I called my wife, and I said, just so you know, I'm picking up your daughter. I got all my kids with me. We made it to the bank and back in like five minutes, and, and I called them I said, dropped her, you know, just... Like, go out of your way to protect yourself. So discuss your guardrails, figure out what's wise for you, figure out what's healthy for your relationship, okay? And uh, tell the whole truth. Kind of one, one guardrail is, if there's a little detail that you want to skip over when you're telling the story, that should light up your brain to say, that's, that's, a, that's a guard, that's a red flag. I, you know, if you're like, well, yeah, I'm not going to tell you that she was there. I'll skip that part of the story. I won't tell you how late we worked. I'll skip that, you know, because last time she was there, we had this whole conversation. And nothing happened. I just don't want her to have to be worried about it again, right? Like when you start trying to like work around little details, that, that should light up your brain to say, that's probably not a healthy spot to keep going full speed. And so just decide, one of my guardrails, I will tell the whole truth, every detail, everybody that was there, everything that happened, so that you and I don't have to be worried or concerned about how things are going. Be honest with your spouse. Keeping secrets from your spouse should ding your, com- your conscience and say there's a potential hazard here or something might be wrong if I can't tell the whole truth. Third thing I would say would be tell somebody. And this is what I mean is if you find yourself, and this happens because we're humans, we're romantically inclined. And if you find yourself, where you have feelings for, or lust for, or your heart is just even a little bit drawn towards somebody that's not your spouse. Tell somebody, maybe you don't want to run to your spouse and say, wow, I noticed this girl at work today. I didn't really mean to, but man, you know, like, no, okay. Figure out who's safe, who's healthy, who can you tell? Because just talking about it diffuses emotions. You'll be stronger just having head conversation, and you can invite someone to help you along and help you stay accountable. So maybe you don't Run home and tell your spouse every thought you ever had, but find someone you can talk about when you need to. Tell somebody, okay? Uh, Don't counsel members of the opposite sex. And I don't mean like, because you're a professional counselor. Most of you, probably all of us are not. Um, I don't mean like, come into my office, I can help you. But what I mean is, you know, everybody is human. We all have good days and bad days. We all have struggles. And what happens so often is we get entangled emotionally because as you're pouring your heart out to me, I'm the person who's willing to listen. And you don't want to do that with guy, girl, or girl, guy. Because that's just going to, you're just going to invite havoc. You're going to be too emotionally and, what do you know, romantically invested in one another. They might need somebody, but they don't need you. Find them a professional if they need it. Refer them to somebody that can help them that's the same gender. Do whatever you can to protect yourself and protect your own marriage, your own relationship. That's one that seems so innocent, and you're just being nice, and you want to be there, and yeah, I care, and the next thing you know, people get into big trouble, okay? This next one, I didn't really know how to say, but I felt like it was worth trying to say. Don't text or social media the opposite sex much. (laughs) When I was first married, I was like, I'm not going to have any girls' numbers in my phone, right? And so, like, my wife's got all these sisters. I was friends with her whole family. We all went to youth group together. And so, uh, even then, I was like, okay, I'm getting married. I'm not going to call you anymore. Give me your husband's phone number, right? And I, but then I was like, texting became a thing, and, and social media, be, it's like almost impossible. Like, well, I got to send her a message for work or whatever. And so, I kind of put much on there. There's a guy from our church that shared with me. Uh, he's like, yeah, um, anytime I have to text like one of my wife's friends or just really a woman, I just kind of add her to the text list. Not because she needs to know. It just feels safe. It just feels honoring. It just feels right. I want to be careful. I don't want to have all these like little conversations on my phone with another woman. I want her to know about it. I want her to be involved with it. I was like, that's, that's brilliant. And he said, that's just one of, you know, I don't know if he knew the word guardrail, but he was doing it. And they probably had that discussion, and they knew that's what they were doing. So I, I don't know how to write, how to say this one, but man, social media or texting relationships—they can go so south so fast, and you don't realize it because it feels so safe. We're not even hanging out. We didn't go out to eat together. We didn't travel together. But how late did we stay up texting? How? Much personal info and emotions we're pouring out. It's almost worse than going out because it's romanticized and fantasized in our mind, and we tell ourselves the world says, That's not a big deal. You're just texting, you're just chatting on social media. It's just a direct message, but I would say guard that area as much as you possibly can. It's like a gateway drug, okay? Um, The point of guardrails is to light up our conscious before we find ourselves in the danger zone. So these are just some ideas that you could say, oh, you know, some of these things, that's not a sin thing. That's not too far. But it's the idea that one thing leads to another. And so let's let's back that train up to the one thing. And the more we can stop the one thing, it won't lead to another. Because your marriage is worth it. Your reputation is worth it. Your family is worth it. So what kind of guardrails, romantically and sexually, especially as married couples, should we put in our lives? Now, if you're single, I got just a couple, okay? Uh, And there's probably more, but I would say this: don't date who you wouldn't marry. Okay? Now this can be taken two ways. I remember when I was in high school youth group, uh, you know, they would talk to us about dating and marriage and everything. And it was helpful. It was valuable. But so I remember one time uh, our leaders had us fill out, like make a list, right? Every, every kid was supposed to make a list. Like, what are you looking for in a spouse? Like, what, what would you like in the person that you'll someday, you, does, it's not somebody that you know, this is just, you know, imagine if you're going to get married, what would you want? And so it was really hilarious. I remember one guy in our youth group, He had this long list. Like, how long did you think about this? How many pens did you go through, right? Like, how much money your dad makes, and if your parents are divorced. Like, it it wasn't just about her. It was about her whole extended family. Like, I'm hoping she can, and sure, that'd be a great candidate. But the thing is, You don't want to, like, expect all those boxes to be checked before you go on a first date. There's a piece where it's like, feel free to have a first date and see if you even hit it off, right? Like, start a friendship. Don't feel like you have to be, I'm not saying you should be prepared to marry the person before you ever go out. But there's another guy in the youth group. His list said two legs. (laughs) Like, how long did you think about it, dude? Like, he's, I'll date anybody, right? I don't really care. As long as it's a girl with two legs, I'll take her out. And... And the idea is, and you know this, you can almost fall in love with anybody. If you spend enough time together, you have enough shared memories and emotions together, you go through things, your hearts just grow together. So what I would say, especially as a high school pastor for years, I would say, don't marry somebody or don't even date somebody that you know you wouldn't marry. If they're like not marriage material, you're just going to get yourself in a mess. You're going to end up marrying someone that you wish you wouldn't have and you knew you shouldn't have, but the next thing you know, I'm in love. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have, you know, well, we're ready to get married before we go on our first date, but I wouldn't start dating someone that I know I wouldn't marry, okay? Uh, The other thing is this. Don't undervalue your body. Your creation Special image bearer of God. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And as a single people, it's so easy. Our culture begs us to undervalue our body, to sell ourselves with our body, to attract people with our body, to not honor God with our body. The New Testament ethic is to honor God with our bodies. Don't give in to the lies of the world that you're priceless or that you're just a piece of flesh. You're so much more than that. Ask the question like this. What do you hope for your future spouse what do you hope your future spouse would have done or not done before you got married how far would you want them to have gone what would you want them to experience how would you want them to either honor god or not honor god with their body and that's what you should try to offer to the person that you're going to marry for me as a as a teenager that was so helpful to say, okay, if <laughs> I know I'd want to marry someone who's pure and innocent and you know all that stuff, so why would I not want to try my hardest to present myself to that person that way? That's the best advice I could give someone uh, who's single. So let me uh, wrap up with this. We said it earlier. Dangerous environments call for extreme measures. The days that we live in are evil and we will be baited to the edge. No one is cheering for you, no one in our culture. No, I don't know what kind of organizations, what kind of messages you're getting that are helping you honor God with your body, helping you stay pure sexually, whether you're single or married. Perhaps outside of the church, no one else is like cheering for you and challenging you in that area. Not advertisement, not movies, not social media, not not even books you read, unless it's like a a self-help book or a Christian book, right? Like the stories that we tell, nothing is encouraging us in this area and there's almost no area in our life that's more important to be wise about. So have the conversation. Think about it. Pray about it. Talk with your spouse about it. Do something, establish guardrails. You'll be so glad you did because your marriage, your reputation, your, your, your relationship with your heavenly father is worth it. The question is flee or flirt. We are invited and welcome and encouraged to flirt in all areas of life, especially sexually in our culture with danger. And Paul would say, run away as fast as you can. Put guardrails up so your conscience is pinged before you get to the danger zone because you'll never look back five years from now and say, oh, I wish I didn't have those guardrails. You know, I'm so innocent and pure. I, you know, no one says that. But so many people look back and say, I wish I would have stopped there because one thing led to the other. So as we wrap up, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. And I just want to pray like we've been praying this series that we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. I don't want to tell you what to do, but I hope that you let God tell you what to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, this is an interesting, for some of us, maybe even uncomfortable topic to talk about, but it's so important. Thank you that the Apostle Paul talked about this many times in his letters. Thank you that we trust you are a good God who gives good gifts. You invented sex as a good gift. I believe not just for procreation, but for our enjoyment. But you know best how it fits in our life and how we should honor you with our bodies. So Holy Spirit, We just invite you to speak to our hearts. Lead us to have um, maybe difficult but healthy conversations. I pray that you would um, bring to mind areas of our life where we could establish a guardrail so that we can better honor you. I pray for the marriages in this church. God, that we would grow closer to you together, that we would encourage one another to love you more, that we would grow closer to you as we grow closer together, that we would honor you in our relationship and that you would bless our marriages for it. May our kids look up to healthy marriages in this church as an example. May our families be strong and healthy because of the way we choose to honor you. God, for everyone in our church who's single, Surrounded by evil in dangerous environments. I pray that you'll help them to even know extreme measures to take, where to draw the line, even if people laugh at them, so that one thing doesn't lead to the other, so that they can present themselves to you and even a future spouse as the person they want to be, not the person they kind of ended up to be. So, God, we just invite you to speak. Pray that you'd bless us. I do pray for anyone who's thinking about past scars and regrets. And we praise you that you are the God of forgiveness. And we may not have full healing from all consequences, but we can walk every day forward with you. So I pray that you will remove our shame and our guilt. Help us to forgive ourselves. Help us to forgive one another because you have forgiven us. And God, I pray that this week, we would honor you with our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. Please hit up Next Steps on your way out. We'll see you next week.